Merhaba everyone. Welcome back to the Turkish Breakfast Club. I'm your host, Miranda Lin. We're back after taking a week off, and it's just in time for the start of the new Turkish Super League football season. Now I know what a lot of you are going to say. I don't care. I don't watch sports. And despite going temporarily insane for the Olympics, I actually mostly feel the same way. But the fact is that whether you like it or not, if you live in Turkey, football will be a part of your life for the next nine months of the season. People in your life that previously seemed sane will begin ranting and raving about their team's latest results. Flares and firecrackers in the middle of the street will eventually not even phase you, and you'll learn to plan your commute around the traffic caused by fans taking over whole roads on match days. But as the saying goes, if you can't beat 'em, join 'em. And this week we're joined by Patrick Ketty, a British freelance journalist based in Istanbul, who's the author of The Passion: Football and the Story of Modern Turkey. He explains for us how non-fans can find joy and even poetry in Turkish football, and he fills us in on how much drama, unsurprisingly, is involved in the game. So, without further ado, let's get to it. So, welcome to the Turkish Breakfast Club, at Patrick Hedi.、Um, Thank you. Our Football expert, football or soccer? How should we refer? Football, football, definitely football. Sorry, this is my North American <laughs> bias coming out already. Um, um, so, football, Turkish football. For those who are uninitiated, why should they care about Turkish football? What reason can you give them to care, even if they're not like an, a fan of the sport?、Um, because it's one of the craziest, most colorful, most exciting、uh, leagues in the world. Maybe not always for、uh, the quality of the football on the pitch, but for the atmosphere、uh, in the stadiums and around the matches.、Uh, Turkish football fans are—they're literally the loudest、uh, fans in the world. They have the—I think Besiktas fans have the Guinness World Record. So it's quite、uh, an experience going to a match. There's actually a Guinness World Record for yeah, yeah. like the num- like the decibels. Yeah, the、hit. decibel level. I think I think it's 142. That's their record. Before <laughs> them, Galatasaray held the record. I think it was something like 130. So it's always been a Turkish team. It's been、said. a it's been a Turkish team. Yeah, in recent years, and、uh, yeah, it's it's just quite a spectacle. You go to the stadium. Def- there's deafening noise, flares. Uh, you know all kinds of、uh, crazy chants. If you can、um, speak Turkish, then you'll hear some amazing、uh, swearing, like really profound,、uh, insane, creative swearing, and、um, but also real like really beautiful love songs as well. Like that's that really characterizes、um, Turkish football fandom, the kind of love that fans have for their teams.、Um, I think in Turkey. Like this is a really like kind of you know in general terms a very it's quite a religious and a nationalistic country and family is really important to people but football seems to have a place above all of that for a lot of people.、Like、it's uniting beyond race or creed. It's、uh, football yeah. fans. Yeah, I think I've seen some surveys and it's something like seventy-five, seventy-six、um, percent of people are, like actively follow football and like. Ninety percent of people in, in Turkey like have a football team that they support. So, yeah, it's really the, the the fandom, the passion of the fandom is really, really intense, really unique. And then, Turkish football is interesting from a kind of cultural and social and political level as well. It's well, that's actually really helpful because it's probably more interesting for people who don't really know the sport to understand the storyline behind it. So, for those few people. Who maybe don't have a team yet? Can you break it down a little, and maybe you can start with the Istanbul teams of what each of them kind of represent? 
There's tons of teams in Istanbul, but there are three big teams in Istanbul, and they are the three big teams in Turkish football. So Besiktas, Fenerbahce, Galatasaray. So they've between them, they've won nearly everything in Turkish football history, nearly every championship, with a few exceptions. And something like 80% of um, Turkish people around the country support one of these teams. Okay, so can you um, give us like a profile for each of them to, yeah. so we can choose which one we want to be part of? Yeah, I mean, it might depend on where you live in Istanbul or it might depend on, yeah, various... Is it strictly like, a... Ge so then, yeah, is it mainly a geographic thing that if you're on the Asian side, you might be a Fenerbahce fan? It, yeah, in, in general terms, maybe. It, it's, a, it's a bit complicated. I mean, so yeah, Fenerbahce is um, the team based on the Asian side of uh, Istanbul, so... A lot of people that live uh, in that area and around that area, they support um, Fenerbahce. Besiktas and Galatasaray on the European side. Um, Besiktas is like a district team, so it's very much in the heart of that district. Galatasaray, <coughs> Galatasaray is a bit um, different. It's kind of uh, traces its origins back to Galatasaray school, but it doesn't have such a strong um, community identity, I would say. Like the, the stadium now is kind of on the outskirts of the city. But basically, their teams have really long history, so they date from the Ottoman Empire, so... The Ottoman Empire? Yeah, yeah, so really? the early the early 20th century, so they're, they're really old teams. So one sultan and was for one team, and then a pasha <laughs> was for another team? Um, not exactly, I mean, um, actually when, um, in those years, uh, sultans were quite against football, they really distrusted it. Muslims were banned from uh, playing football, there was really? a kind of de facto ban. Yeah, because it would rival the authority of the sultans. Like I people think would be that was loyal. maybe yeah, that was maybe one aspect to it. I mean, I think um, I mean going all the way back, football was introduced in the Ottoman Empire by uh, like British merchants in a lot of port cities, and it was taken up by minorities, um, Greeks and um, Jews and Italians. And yeah, I think when it came to Muslims, there was a kind of de facto ban because. There's a sort of conservative element. It was frowned upon to wear shorts, and it was kind of seen as unseemly to chase after a ball. And but yeah, I think there was definitely a political element. You put it to that, that way, that's true. It is a little bit. <laughs> it is a little bit silly, maybe. Uh, chase, the chasing honor after honor of the Ottoman Empire. Yeah, like grown men chasing after an inflated, uh, you know, ball. But I mean. Yeah, I think there was a bit of a political element as well, like the, the Sultan was a bit... Um, was there a moment, like a tipping point in history where Turkish people did sort of really fully embrace the, the game? I think as soon as the, the big teams were, were formed, so you, you get Galatasaray being formed um, in 1905, you get Fenerbahce in 1907, you get um, Besiktas, the football branch, uh, being formed in um, 1911. And I think basically since, after, with the formation of those teams, I mean, immediately there was uh, an interest. And then during um, the occupation after the First World War, uh, a lot of these teams were playing um, soldiers and occupation forces, British teams, uh, it's like Fenerbahce in particular. Them? And they were beating them, yeah. So, Beat the occupation? Yeah, they had some cups. Um, really? There was a General Harrington Cup, which uh, the British devised, and they thought they, they would easily beat Turkish teams. and. Fenerbahce won that cup, so there's a great deal of pride in that. Wow. Um, and yeah, so football kind of grew in, in popularity sort of steadily until I, I would say it didn't become a kind of attain mass popularity until maybe the 1950s. So then you have urbanization, mass urbanization, people moving to cities and 
you have the rise of uh, radio and um, football media and betting is a big one and yeah these kind of rivalries grew up over time as well so the biggest rivalry in Turkish football is between Galatasaray and Fenerbahce it's called the Intercontinental Derby Galatasaray is the representative of all of Europe what if not Besiktas? Uh, it's a, they're not included in this intercontinental um, derby. Yeah, it's a little bit rude. Um, but Besiktas has a massive rivalry with Fenerbahce and Galatasaray as well, but particularly Fenerbahce. So yeah, over over the years, everyone just hates Fenerbahce. The rivalry. They all they do seem to be the most hated team. I think traditionally they were the most successful team. Not so much in recent years yeah. or even recent decades. But yeah, they. So there's there's long been a massive rivalry between these teams, and their origins are a little bit different as well. So um, Galatasaray came out of uh, Galatasaray High School, which is quite is a very elite um, school uh, uh, in you know on um, one of the main thoroughfares on the European side of um, Istanbul. So they were traditionally kind of um, seen as a team of the aristocracy. Then you have Fenerbahce. It came from also quite a prestigious school, but a lower sort of <laughs> caliber. So they're seen as more a team of the bourgeoisie. And then Besiktas, uh, you know, the neighborhood of Besiktas, it's been gentrified now a bit, but it used to be kind of very rough and ready and working class. And they were seen by a lot of people as a working class team and a team of the, the people's team. Underdog, the people's team a little bit, yeah. Okay. Um, but that's now you'll just find people of all sure. classes and uh, backgrounds supporting each of the teams. Um, so yeah, if if you're looking for a team to support, it 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 depends maybe where you live. It also depends if you're a bit of a glory hunter and you want um, uh, Galatasaray. I mean, they they are the best supported team in Turkey, but only really over the past two decades because they've been really successful. They they won the UEFA Cup in uh, the year 2000, so they're the only Turkish team to have won a major European trophy. I see, okay. Uh, there's maybe some political factors as well, so it's not that clear-cut, but um, the main, the biggest fan group of Besiktas is called Chasha, and they are kind of left-leaning. Okay. Um, so, and they played a big part in like 2013 anti-government um, Gezi protests. Okay. So if you were that way inclined, politically, you might support them a lot of um first place I lived when I moved to Istanbul was in Besiktas and so I would yeah. see a lot of these like anarchy A's yeah, that are right. part of the Charsha like symbol I guess and so I was yeah. like what neighborhood did I walk into and then I realized oh it's just a football thing but I guess it's also a political and football thing yeah it's like I mean it's quite political in a loose sense so like I mean Charsha they're really famous for uh, their kind of campaigns like um, against racism and um, against environmental destruction and climate change and okay. they have a lot of sayings like Charsha is Charsha is against uh, everything Charsha is against Charsha um, and um, yeah like they had a campaign like when Pluto the planet was downgraded from a planet they got angry and they I mean it's obviously tongue-in-cheek but they, they were um, very involved banners in behalf of Pluto so they more than just football <laughs> yeah so they, they they sort of see themselves as standing up for the underdogs you're mentioning how some of these fan groups can get, what's the word, quite passionate. Mm. They have a history of um, really going all out for their team and sometimes it becoming violent. Yeah. Is that something that is still happening that if you go to a game or you join one of these fan groups that you should be kind of prepared for that it could get a bit rowdy or hooliganism in, in Turkish football? Um, 
it's definitely very, very rowdy when you go to the stadium and it's very male. There are a lot of female fans, increasingly female fans there, but the atmosphere is very raucous, very macho, very male. But I would say if you're um, just there, you know, as a foreigner and a, or just an, as, as an observer, it's actually really safe. You're not going to get yourself into any trouble unless you go <laughs> looking for it. And in terms of hooliganism, um, it definitely used to be bad in the past. I mean, in the 80s, there were terrace wars between the between the teams. There was a period where they were all sharing the f same stadium. All uh, three teams? Yeah, the three big Istanbul teams are all oh, sharing the same stadium. So they would kind of... Uh, turn up the day before a match and, and try to get the best part of the stadium which was um, the kind of covered stand which was where the acoustics were best so they would fight for control over that and Charsha really made its name in the 80s by um, as well as being very kind of socially conscious they're very good at uh, fighting so they were <laughs> They're so, so, such a diverse crowd, this Charsha. I'm really <laughs> big fans of them now. <laughs> yeah, so they, um, this, these kind of terrorist wars... Like actual of, fist fights or like knife fights? Well, they or? started as fist fights and they escalated into knife fights and then gun fights and eventually a truce was called at some point in the, in the 90s and it kind of calmed down a bit. But yeah, there's, I mean, hooliganism has kind of dogged Turkish football for quite few years but in recent years it's definitely improved a lot the government and the, the authorities have clamped down on it a huge amount I mean, the sport I, has become a bit gentr more gentrified as well I've only been so. to one match in Besiktas and I remember being really annoyed because they make you like leave everything at the door like oh, especially yeah. for females like you can't bring any change any makeup like yeah. anything any keys like you lose all of it and at the time I was like really annoyed like, what do you think is gonna happen with like eyeliner but now well, hearing this, I can kind of understand maybe. No, the that's. I mean, of it's it. kind of fair enough. It is annoying actually. Yeah, when you get all your um, change gets taken off you, but it's, it is kind of fair enough. You do see a lot of incidents of people, um, you know, being pelted with uh, missiles from the stands. And um, there's a famous coach, Shenol uh, Gunesh. He's ma he's managing the national team now, but say, he yeah. was at Besiktas for a long time, okay. and his head got cut open after he was hit by um, something thrown by Fenerbahce fans. And really? Yeah, so this stuff does happen. That was only so a couple a of seasons ago. There is actually ago. a reason for these rules. Yeah, I, it's, not, it's not like, um, I wouldn't compare it to English football hooliganism of the 80s, you know, 70s, 80s, 90s, where that was a lot more organized and fans went looking for fights and they didn't often care that much even about the football. I think at Turkish matches, it's just that people get that wound up and they get that passionate. They can't control themselves, and then I've noticed um, that. <laughs> so, yeah, and, seen that and, maybe once or twice. Uh, and in then daily life. sometimes bad words are exchanged, and that always gets people going. So yeah, and and there's a there's a lot of the rivalries between various teams are not always geographical. They're sometimes about histories um, involving alleged match fixing and stuff like that. And there's a lot of bitterness between you hold teams. Hold on a grudge. Uh, yeah, a so. but <laughs> just in, let it go, everyone. It's just yeah, a game. It's, just oh chasing God, an inflated no. ball around. We're <laughs> <laughs> agreeing with the sultans now. They saw this coming. <laughs> That's halftime. So while you hydrate and stretch, we just want to remind you that we are on Facebook and Instagram at The Turkish Breakfast Club. We share lots of extra notes from each episode there and would love to hear your ideas and feedback too. So please give us a follow at The Turkish Breakfast Club and of course subscribe to the podcast to make sure you get every episode. Now, back to the game. Back to the game.
Okay, so those are the three largest clubs, but if you yeah. wanted to be maybe like a Istanbul football hipster and choose mm. a, someone outside of those main three, what are the other teams, yeah. like the main teams that uh, can keep an eye out for? Yeah, um, there's so many um, interesting teams around Turkey. I mean, Trabzonspor is really interesting. So the city of Trabzon is on the Black Sea. It's like a thousand kilometers from Istanbul. It's kind of near the Georgian border. and they have absolutely crazy fans and they, they've won the league six times. They had a, kind of a golden period in the 70s and 80s. I mean, they've been known to uh, stone their own team bus just when they drew. Um, you know, they didn't even lose a match. So they, they really care about football there. They have a, is that caring about football? Or is that <laughs> well, I don't know, yeah. They, they, get, they get really wound up anyway. <laughs> Ankara is an interesting place to, to go and watch football as well. There's a couple of main teams in Ankara. So you have Ankara Guju. They see themselves as the craziest um, team in Turkey, their fans, and I wouldn't Even necessarily disagree. Even more than disagree. stoning, we've already gone through people <laughs> who stone their buses of their team if they tie yeah. and like, riots and terror attacks, but this team, the Ankara team, is even more crazy than that. Yeah, well, they, they kind of have an affinity. They see themselves as a bit of a Turkish Millwall. I don't know if you know about Millwall. Like, they, um, they're an English team that's kind of been associated with hooliganism a lot in the past and they're really a lot of people don't like them and um, so this they, is, they, they want to model themselves off of this team yeah well Millwall has a um, slogan um, no one likes us we don't care and um, Ankara Guji kind of adopt that slogan <laughs> and then you have this kind of polar opposite team called Genshlavili which is also um, in Ankara team in Ankara okay. and they are the team of the kind of intellectuals and uh, the, the liberal left and um, they see themselves as the um, nice boys of uh, Turkish football, so they don't swear in their chants. Um, they only quote philosophers <laughs> and uh, <laughs> drink Yeah, no, they, they do. They, they do um, yeah, there was not philosophers exactly, but they know their history. I mean, there was a match when they were playing um, a totally different um, Ankara team, which was uh, a really unpopular team because it was set up by the really crazy mayor, Meli Gökçek. Okay. And they really. Um, uh, that, and that team was called um, Osmanli Sport, Ottoman Sport, and they okay. styled themselves after kind of Ottomans. Um, There's such oh, interesting personalities <laughs> to these football teams I um, wasn't really prepared for. Yeah. Anyway, when Genshlabili were playing that team, they were um, chanting about um, Tamerlane. He was the only... Uh, the only monk, that the only person to to uh, I think kill and capture a Ottoman sultan in battle. So yeah, they're quite an intellectual uh, team. Um, okay, that, you, that does deserve an intellectual <laughs> reputation. Yeah. If your even your chance needs sort of a backstory explanation. In yeah, Turkish yeah, history. for sure. Um, and um, yeah, there's other. T um, it's it's quite. In I mean, it's a little bit dangerous. I wouldn't say dangerous. A little bit fraught, maybe, but. Um, it, can be interesting, uh, I don't know, for some real adventurous people to go to, to Diyarbakir um, in, in southeast Turkey and there's a team there called Ahmed Spor. Ahmed Spor. Yeah, and they're, they're in the third tier of Turkish football, so they're not particularly good, but they have a very strong Kurdish nationalist identity. They used to have a, quite a controversial player called Deniz Naki. I interviewed him in my book and he's just a sort of openly kind of Kurdish nationalist guy and uh, they went on a, a really good cup run a few years ago. They got to the quarterfinals and they beat some really big teams. And uh, he got banned for 12 matches for doing a peace sign. Um, this was at a time when 
there was a lot of fighting in Kurdish cities between Kurdish um, militants and the Turkish state. It's very political, complex subject. And so just having a peace sign, like literally. He just says like the, it's a peace sign. Other Turkish nationalists see it as like a victory sign. So it depends which way you see it. But he he very much embraced that identity. The club itself embraces the identity. The word Ahmed is. Um, a, the Kurdish word for the for the city, or well, the word Kurdish people use for the city anyway. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, and they play in kind of Kurdish uh, colours, green and red. So that's quite an interesting team to, to follow. And Another team I've heard maybe a few couple of years ago um, was it Basakşehir mm. that seemed to suddenly come out of nowhere, yeah. and I suddenly saw them like at the top international like European competitions yeah what is their backstory they're, they're a really interesting team they're seen by a lot of fans as a political project by the government so they started off as a very small municipality team and uh, they used to get about 30 or 40 fans and they were mostly just you know, 34,000 or literally 30, 30 or 40, 40 full people stop. yeah <laughs> okay. and they were like mostly you know friends of the players or family members <laughs> yeah I know I think my like community <laughs> league team got more players than that yeah definitely I, I definitely played in in front of bigger crowds than that myself so yeah um, in 2014 they kind of separated from the municipality they became a private um, company which is quite very rare in Turkish football there's only a handful of private oh so most of them are teams. owned by the city or by most the of them are member owned associations so they're basically okay. owned by the fans really? essentially and they they have um, they vote for a president every couple of years. Even all the biggest clubs like in Fenerbahce. Oh yeah, Gala, yeah, yeah. They really? have thousands of fans. Yeah, and they vote for a president. And this is one of the reasons that makes Turkish football very political because you really becoming a president of a big club opens a lot of doors for you. Right. Uh, and you can hobnob with a lot of uh, powerful people. But anyway, with Bashakshah here, yeah, they, they they were bought out by I think it was eight pro-government um, businessmen and. Um, Erdogan, President Erdogan really put his support behind the team. He turned up to the matches, he met the team in the dressing room. He scolded them that they weren't getting more fans. Um, Was there a particular reason that Erdogan took such an interest in this team? Like, did he have some sort of affiliation with the municipality or that community? Um, so, I mean, he's a Fenerbahce fan. He's a genuine football fan and he's actually a semi-professional. He used to be a semi-professional footballer. I did see him dressed up in some sort of uh, like a celebrity match or something, didn't he? Oh, uh, okay, yeah. So, so he opened the new stadium in Bishakshah here. So right, the municipality okay, team became, it was Istanbul municipality team, it became Bishakshah here and kind of relocated it in Bishakshah here, which is way out on the European side of Istanbul, miles and miles, it takes hours to get there. Okay. And um, he played in the opening of their new stadium in 2014 and he scored a hat-trick, uh, some really dubious goal, <laughs> one really good goal, but a couple of really soft uh, goals. But he scored Are against the national team. I'm not suggesting anything, but they were, yeah, the defending was lackluster. I mean, that we, after watching the Euros, that could just be the... It could the, just be, yeah, really national terrible, teams terrible play, Yeah, players. I don't know, yeah. No. Okay, um, so, uh, so the yeah, president scored a hat-trick. Yeah, so he kind of opened, you know, yeah. helped to open that stadium. And he wore the number 12 on his back because he was, at that point, running to become Turkey's 12th president. And Bishakshi here retired that number in homage to, to him. Um, but most football clubs, they see like a lot of football clubs, especially in Germany, they retire the number 12 because they it's like the fans are the 12th man. But Bishakshi here retired the number 12 and Erdogan was the 12th man. 
And so, yeah. Similar idea. <laughs> so, yeah, a lot of fans, they really struggled to attract um, many genuine fans. Um, they did, their attendances did get up to, you know, two, three thousand. It's still the lowest attendance in, in the league. Do politics creep into football a lot? They're fairly rare. I mean, for example, when Imam Olu, um, uh, won the first election, um, the mayoral election, and they, he was kind of not given his mandate to become mayor. Right. But, um, he, he kind of tried to, he, he uses football in a similar way to Erdogan, actually. Like, he, they both were semi-professional footballers, they both use football analogies. Was Imam Olu a semi-professional player yeah, too? Yeah, he was also a semi-professional footballer, okay. and he speaks about football, he uses it as an analogy. Um, for example, I mean, he says, he used to be a goalkeeper, and he was giving interviews when he was running for mayor and he was saying things like oh yeah you know as a goalkeeper you can see all the pitch uh, you can direct everything if you have a strong voice you can kind of run the game and it's like a oh, clear political analogy Erdogan says all this stuff is Erdogan is a striker isn't he? he was a defensive kind of midfielder okay. yeah he I mean, I just assume from that hat trick that uh... no, no <laughs> he, was, he was more of a kind of uh, enforcer, like a rough sort of uh, physical defensive midfielder. That's I don't know. If not surprising. Read too much into that. But yeah. <laughs> and then when Imamolu um, won the first election, he went to a couple of matches and um, he was kind of drawing on the power of football and he was kind of pitting the big clubs against Bishakja here as well, using that for. He was saying, when I'm mayor, the big three, the teams, kind of real teams of Istanbul will be, you know, paramount. So when he went to the stadium, there was a few, quite a bit of chanting sort of for him. Interesting. Um, is there a favorite on who's going to win this season? It's, Turkish football is actually really, generally, it's really competitive, I would, I would say. I mean, yeah, like normally it is the top three teams, big three teams at the top. Yeah. Uh, but there's no clear-cut I, I don't uh, think there's really favorite. a clear-cut favorite. I mean, Fenerbahce haven't won the league for years. They seem to be sort of have some kind of hex over them, or I don't know, they seem to be struggling. So if you want to, um, I don't know, place a bet, I don't know, probably go for Besiktas. But, um, Besiktas, yeah. Okay. Galatasaray are always there, they always find a way to win, even when they, um, they, they don't necessarily have the best team. Um, their manager's a real character, he's someone to watch out for, Fatih Terim. Okay, uh, what's his story? He's, he calls himself the emperor and he's got quite an imperious sort of persona and he's, he's the most um, successful manager in Turkish history and he's yeah, just a kind of very flamboyant sort of angry guy who wears yeah, uh, kind of open-necked um, shirts and he, uh, he got sacked from um, his last stint as Turkish national team manager for driving a couple of hundred kilometres and having a fight at a kebab shop. Um, Sounds like who I want managing my national team. <laughs> <laughs> he's really, he's a wild man. He's a wild man. Yeah. So, inside the stadium, um, are there any particularities of the fan base that you can sort of speak on? Of like some of the interesting traditions or chants or some of the things that happen among the fans inside the stadium? Yeah, I mean they have they have these really vulgar chance but they have really beautiful chants as well which are like they're actually like um, genuinely like love poems there's a Besiktas one and it's like I saw you on a rainy day you were wearing a striped uniform uh, and it goes into like uh, I was stricken with love uh, you know the light and they're chanting this so yeah the they're singing together. it so normally these songs are they're often based on arabesque songs and they take that same kind of quality of 
kind of doomed, sacrificial, unrequited love um, from these songs. And they, they sing them in the stadium. And um, yeah, some of them are really powerful. I mean, there's Fenerbahce songs where they sing about crying under a lamppost for Fenerbahce. And it's not the kind of songs that like Norwich City sing or, you know, Arsenal fans tend to sing. So Different vibe. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much, Patrick, for uh, sharing all your knowledge. Now we can go cheer on any number of teams uh, properly. Thank so you. thank you so much for thank all of this. If you want to read more about Patrick's deep dive into Turkish football, you can find his book on Amazon and Kindle. The title again is The Passion, Football and the Story of Modern Turkey. And while you may not all be lining up with us to get Besiktas Çarşı tattoos, I hope after this episode, you'll at least be able to appreciate and maybe even enjoy the beautiful madness that comes with the next 38 weeks of matches. So until next time, go to Shrews and go Beshiktash, go!